as we continue in the launch series, as we conclude it for now, the launch series. This idea of launched always should bring to your mind the space race and things of space and getting to space. And as we've seen, the apostles, the sent ones, Paul and Barnabas, went to the moon, if you will. Now, as you think in terms of going to the moon, when you come back from the moon, there's a mission debrief. And that's what we're thinking of today. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 15, 1 through 35. Sometimes a 4 looks like a 5. It's, it's a strange phenomenon. But here today, I tell you, it is 35. I think that is my mistake. But when you think in terms of a mission debrief, I went out to find the transcript of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin's mission debrief, technical mission debrief, and I found some fascinating things. And in seeing these things, and you think in terms of what Paul and Barnabas went through, here's some really cool quotes. You could go read the whole thing. It's mostly boring things about the lunar module and, and, and those sort of things. But look at some of the cool things that he says here. Neil Armstrong said, Our simulation work in both the tank, uh, water, and in the airplane was a reasonably accurate simulation. That's a, a zero gravity. They were adequate to learn to do the job, and we didn't have any big surprises in that area. So when you think in terms of preparation, there are things that prepared these men to go to the moon, and there were things that prepared Paul and Barnabas to go to the moon. It also says, and this is what he says in terms of coming down that ladder, that famous ladder that, that Neil Armstrong came down. You know, they came down together. Buzz was above him. But he said the two-man operation is good because all the help that each man can give the other one is money in the bank. Isn't that an amazing principle to think of? Two are better than one. And so we see Paul and Barnabas working together. So it's really slick, and here it's Neil and Buzz. He also says this, I would say that balance was not difficult in terms of walking. However, I did some fairly high jumps and found that there was a tendency to tip over backward on a high jump. One time I came close to falling and decided that was enough of that. <laughs> so when you're actually on the moon, you can attempt some pretty bold things. And it's certainly Paul and Barnabas attempted some pretty bold things while they were on the moon on the first missionary journey. Look at what Buzz Aldrin said. The difference there is that in a run, you think in terms of moving your feet rapidly to move fast. You know, on earth, we do that. And you can't move your feet any more rapidly than the next time you come in contact with the surface. In general, you have to wait for that to occur. What an amazing picture. So we, we do think in terms of running on the earth, you've got, you, your feet are going to hit right away. But on the moon, you can move your feet several times before you hit. And so in terms of when you're on the moon, you can't go faster than the moon needs you to go. And that's also true in terms of how much time they spent making disciples there. And then here, finally, it is the sort of thing you just cannot anticipate before flight. You can plan to some degree when you are on the surface of the moon. But until you get out and look around, you can't make your final decision as to what you are really going to do. Inside, you are only looking at perhaps 60% of the available panorama when they were in the lunar module. So it's, it's one thing to see and another thing to actually be there and experience it. And when we think in terms of being there and experiencing it on the moon for Paul and Barnabas, their first missionary journey, 
They went there and experienced it. And they were so prepared, just like Neil and Buzz, they were prepared. These guys were prepared. But when they got there, things didn't go the way they thought that they would. And, and some things did. Right? Remember, Paul actually got stoned and, and left for dead. I'm sure he wasn't saying, okay, when they're preparing beforehand, hey, when, when we do get stoned, which we eventually will, they're going to throw stones at us, make sure that you, you practice dodge. No, they didn't do that sort of thing. Right? But they started in Antioch, which is in the province of Syria. They went from Antioch. The church had sent them. The Holy Spirit set them aside for this work. And they went to Seleucia, and then they went to the island of Cyprus, and they went all through the island of Cyprus. They left Cyprus. They went up to uh, Perga, which is up there on modern-day Turkey, as you see there. And at that time, that yellow line, John Mark left them, remember? And then they considered on, uh, cons continued on to Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and all the troubles they experienced there, all the death threats, all the people that were against them, they went back through and made disciples in all these places, and they set elders in charge of all the churches, and they eventually made it all the way back down, and they went from Perga to Italia, and then from Italia they went to Seleucia and back to Antioch, where they told the church in Antioch all the awesome things that happened. They gave their first mission debrief at Antioch. Now, after this mission, this first mission debrief, we're going to see what happens in Antioch. You know, it's so great. Sometimes, if, if you've ever been on a mission trip, you could feel such a high. Or whenever you've been on a spiritual high in your life, watch out. There is a test coming, a trial coming. So let's take a look. Acts 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Let's think about this a moment. Most of the people that they've encountered, they've gone to the synagogues, okay, Paul and Barnabas. So they've dealt with a lot of prepared people, the, the God-fearing Gentiles and the Jews, okay. But back in Judea, there's all sorts of Jews, mainly Jewish Christians, so this is a real struggle for them to think in terms of, hey, you still need to be following the law because Christianity at this time is very Jewish. Let's look at verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had a heated argument and debate with them, the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. Think of this, though. We saw uh, men came down from Judea and went up to Jerusalem. Look at the map. You see uh, the province of Syria. Antioch is up there. And when we say we're going up, like I've got family in Tennessee. I, we're going up to Tennessee. We're going north. For, in terms of the Bible, when you see this, whenever they're leaving Judea or they're leaving Jerusalem, a lot of times you'll see going down from, no matter the direction, Jerusalem itself being on a hill. But the idea there is not directionally. It's also an idea that is somewhat spiritual in a sense, that Jerusalem is the hub. It's where Jesus taught, and that's kind of the thought there. And so that they wanted Paul and Barnabas to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. The apostles, these are the disciples of Jesus, his actual disciples, that are still alive at that time. And then the elders would be the elders of the church of Jerusalem. If you remember from last week, we saw in Titus 1-9, 
the big role of an elder, the roles are to exhort sound doctrine and refute unsound doctrine. This is a doctrinal issue. The apostles are well equipped to give their stance on it, and the elders are as well, since they are the experts in these areas in, of doctrine. So verse 3, this is a, a good method to answer any difficult questions. Verse 3, therefore after being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria. These are areas, Phoenicia is inside uh, Syria on the coast, and then Samaria is in middle Judea there. They were describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they were bringing great joy to all the brothers and sisters. It's an amazing thing to tell them. So remember, they just had their first mission debrief in Antioch. Now they're going down, or south, rather, or up to Jerusalem. They're going to tell all the things that happened, all the Gentiles that they saw that came to know the Lord, and it's going to encourage the brothers and sisters. When they, verse 4, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church, the apostles, and the elders. So all the church was there, the apostles and elders were there as well, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. So this is an interesting thing we see here. Pharisees saying it's important that they keep the law of Moses. The people that had come from Judea to Antioch saying in order to be saved they must do this. Fascinating thing, I challenge all of you to go and read Deuteronomy 28. You find out the real purpose of the law and following the law is to be blessed in the land. If you are following the law, you are blessed in the land. If you are not following the law, you are cursed in the land. And certainly at this point in time, they were cursed in the land. They were experiencing the curses of the law. And so they, they themselves, though they may, some of them may be following the law, were not being saved by the law. But this question really has more to do with than just being blessed in the land. It has to do with your eternal salvation and what it is based on. So as we think in terms of what are some of the applications of this section, let's take a look. Before we do, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we have to get into your word. We thank you for your word here. We thank you for Acts 15. We thank you for all of these things. And we ask that you would bless our time as we look into it. And that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the things that you want to show us to the things you want us to feel in our hearts, and that, Lord, you would bless us with the things you want us to do with our hands. We want to be not only hearers, but doers of your word. Bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Applications for verses 1 through 6. There's a proper method for solving complex issues in the church. You go to the apostles and the elders. Where are the apostles today? Anybody want to point to the apostles today? Do we have any apostles today? The apostles are the disciples of Jesus. Those who actually had the right to write scripture. We find what they say in God's word. These are the apostles. This is a part of testing the canon of scripture. Was it written by an apostle or a prophet? So this is authoritative because it is the words of God. Jesus sent them to do this thing and to represent him. So that's part of it, the apostles. You consult 
God's word. In our day today, we can't call up Peter or Matthew or any of the other apostles today, but we can read what they wrote and what they had to say. So you go to the apostles and the elders. You go to the elders. Why? The elders are alive. The elders are alive, and they are the ones that are the masters of sound doctrine. If there's something that needs to be solved in the church, you consult God's word, and the elders will conform to what God's word is because they're the experts in God's work. So the elders are the leaders of the local church, and they are the ones, remember, that's who Paul left in all of those places, all those places in Galatia in modern-day Turkey. He left elders there in charge, and they had God's word as well. Notice that some of the Pharisees became believers. This is an interesting thing. You have Pharisees who were the main uh, antagonizers of Jesus. Those who rejected him, some of those guys had their eyes open. Paul being chief, one of the chief among them, because he was a great Pharisee himself. But some Pharisees can come to know the Lord. And if you think in terms of some people who have some knowledge can come to the Lord, maybe they have some bad habits that they need to get rid of. I do want you to notice, some of the Pharisees did come to know the Lord. And in our day today, some modern-day Pharisees will come to know the Lord. But there is unsound teaching that can happen in, in their mouths and in all of our mouths. And so all believers must be able to defend their positions from Scripture, not traditions of man, nor the traditions of their local church. And for the traditions of the Pharisees, I would direct you to read the works of of Josephus or Philo. You can read their works and they talk plenty about the Pharisees and how much the Pharisees loved their traditions. But here in our case, we should not fall in love with traditions. We should seek what is authoritative and seek those who really know God's word. That would be the elders. All right, the next section. They're in Jerusalem. And it said, remember verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together so you have the apostles and the elders are coming together to look into this matter. Verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Since this is the case, why are you putting God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Did you catch that? He didn't say they're saved in the same way we are. He said we are saved in the same way that these Gentiles are. And you've got to understand, these Gentiles, are a lot of them are pagan. Because it wasn't just prepared people that were in the uh, Gentiles that were in the Jewish synagogues that were saved. It was also pagans. A fair number of pagans who go to the temples of the fake gods to worship, who eat meat there, who maybe visit the temple priestesses and do things with them. And so here, Peter, speaking of the Gentiles, you know how hard this would be for a Jew to hear? <laughs> We're going to be saved in the same way that they're saved. It's by the grace of God, through faith. 
and not through the law. It's the same salvation. And interesting, Peter said here that he was the one, that he was referring to them, hey, early on, I was chosen. And if you remember in Matthew 16, verses 18 through 19, Jesus said to Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will demystify this for you now. If you look at the grammar in the Greek, Peter gets the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And the early church fathers, Tertullian and Cyprian, both agree, and they're the ones that wrote about this the earliest. They said this whole point of what Jesus said to Peter was to show that Peter was the first one to go and open the gospel to these places. And if you follow Acts, as we've been doing, you see that Peter is the pathfinder. He opens the gospel to the Gentiles. Cornelius in Acts 10, Acts 10, 44 through 45. Well, P Peter's sharing with a, a centurion, a Roman soldier, a Gentile. He's sharing with his whole family. And while Peter was still speaking these words, it says in Acts 10, 44 and 45, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. They believed when they understood, and they understood when they heard the sermon of Peter about how Jesus died for their sins and how Jesus reconciles them to God the Father. And they believed, and the Holy Spirit fell on them at that time. And verse 45, listen to this. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. It's an amazing thing that they saw. These Gentiles are acceptable to God? Just like the vision that Peter saw where he saw all these unclean animals and God said, don't call unclean what I have made clean. This concept that, that Peter was the first one is true and Peter has acknowledged that here in what he said for his testimony. Verse 12. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. Notice this. We got Peter's version first. Peter, well, first, Paul and Barnabas came and told them all the things, but now in this official meeting, Peter represents the apostles' stance. And then we see that Paul and Barnabas represent the work that the Holy Spirit had been doing. It's evidence from the Holy Spirit of what had been accomplished. And so we have the apostolic authority, and then there's evidence from the Holy Spirit corroborating that apostolic authority. And now we're going to get to this third part, which is going to be James. Verse 13. After they stopped speaking, James responded, saying, Brothers, listen to me. That's James, the brother of Jesus. In Eusebius's History of the Church, book 2, chapter 1, we hear that the apostles had appointed James, the brother of Jesus, as an elder in the church at Jerusalem. And here James is now going to represent the elders of Jerusalem. And here's what he says. Simeon, in verse 14, Simeon, that's Peter, that's the Jewish name of Peter, Simeon. Simeon, or Simon, has described how God first concerned himself about taking a people for his name from among the Gentiles. The words of the prophets agree with this, just as it is, as it is, it is written. The words of the prophets agree with it. 
This is, he's also pointing to the Old Testament. This is very fascinating. We get the Old and New Testament coming together here at this Jerusalem council. And this is what he's going to read. He's going to read from the book of Amos, chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. And if you go and read it, Amos 9, 11 through 12, in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, you will see the verses that he is quoting. And this is what he, see, what he reads. Actually, uh, verse 15, the words of the prophets agree with this. So he's saying, hey, the Old Testament agrees with this, just as it is written. Verse 16, after these things, I will return and I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. This is a principle that is throughout. He's just using Amos 9 here just as, a, as an example because the light of God is going to go to all the Gentiles and that has to be done in some form or fashion. And he's saying this is the prophetic expectation as well. Verse 19, therefore it is my judgment. So here we see Peter already gave his judgment. Paul and Barnabas gave their evidence and now he's going to give his judgment from the stance of the elders. That he, therefore, it is my judgment that we do not cause trouble for those from the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from acts of sexual immorality, from that which has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has those who preach him in every city, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. You can learn all about Moses there, but... Look at the things that he talked about. He's really hitting on the Greek paganism that they're dealing with. The things that he says, he says, abstain from things contaminated by idols. He doesn't want these pagan Greeks to start to go back to the temples where they were worshiping fake gods. And from acts of sexual immorality. You know what the Greek word is there? Porneia. Does it sound familiar? That's where we get our term porn. And I'll just say right now, here's a great application. If you are struggling with porn, now is the time to stop looking at porn. And from what has been strangled and from blood. Well, what's wrong with eating something that's been strangled or from blood? Why is he putting this on them? You know, this is from Genesis 9-4. This is from the covenant that, that God made with Noah. It's a covenant that God made with all mankind that we should not be eating blood and drinking blood or eating the blood. So they're saying, hey, we understand that the covenant God made with the earth through Noah is still in effect. So he's still telling them that. And, and the drinking of blood and eating of blood is something that was big for those people, the Greeks at that time, the pagan worshipers. All right, but what are some of the applications we can get? Anyone purporting to be a Christian that states that salvation is by following the law of Moses and not by grace through faith in Christ is rejecting the Bible and the testimony of the Holy Spirit and such a person should not be listened to. Doesn't mean that we don't study the law or say that the law is good, but we have to take the law in context. And for the purposes of our salvation and reconciling us to God, our good works are filthy rags. I heard a, a pastor put it this way. It, it'd be if you're looking at it, an artistic masterpiece that God has done and painted, 
and you were to come up with your crayon and say, well, his works aren't good enough, I'm going to add mine to it. It would be ridiculous and unthinkable to us. I thought it was an excellent illustration of what the problem is. We're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of God. Unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. So if you are steeped in some sin right now, Jesus died for that sin. And don't think that you can't be out of that sin by getting in with the fellowship. You should come to the fellowship. Bring it to the light. It's okay. You can still be saved. You are saved if you already are. Get into God's word. The Old and New Testament, he just said the prophets said it, and here they are, the New Testament apostles are in agreement with it as well. And our response to salvation is righteous living. We don't earn our salvation, but we respond to it by living righteously. Now there's just a few things he had here. These are some of the big hang-ups that the Greeks had, these Gentile believers. All right, let's see the next section, all the way to verse 35, starting in 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders. Who made the decision? The apostles and the elders. With the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So the apostles and the elders made the call. The apostles, elders, and the whole church said, hey, let's send some men to Antioch Paul and Bar- with Paul and Barnabas. So we get Judas, who was called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. So they're sending men that they're actually sending. And they sent this letter with them. Hey, here's another book of the Bible. It's within the book of Acts. It's a letter. The apostles and the brothers who are elders. Again, apostolic authority and the authority of the elders. To the brothers and sisters in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. And you see Antioch is in Syria. Cilicia is right next to it. In fact, Paul was born in Cilicia. He was born in Tarsus. So here's the body of the letter. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction, have confused you by their teaching, upsetting your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, so they're in agreement, unanimous, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. We had the evidence from Paul and Barnabas, which was the Holy Spirit's work. Peter also saw evidence with Cornelius' house. The elders also acknowledged this is true. If they didn't acknowledge it, then they're going to be fighting against the Holy Spirit. But it was true for what the prophets uh, also were saying in the Old Testament. So, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from the acts of sexual immorality. Again, that's porneia. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So they're sending this letter. The letter is also something that is very important because this is a collection of what they all had to say with their authority, and they also sent men to go and deliver this message by word as well as by written word. Verse 30, so when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch. Remember, down to Antioch. And after gathering the congregation together, they delivered the letter 
when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. I bet the men were especially happy. I'll just leave it at that. Judas and Silas also, what about the guy that was presumptuous? And went, anyway, all right, Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brothers and sisters with a lengthy message. So they are also giving a message as well. And after they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brothers and sisters in peace to those who had sent them out. So the, the brothers stayed for a while that came from Jerusalem, but it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Verse 35, but Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others the word of the Lord. So this, we see this beautiful picture of unity. Beautiful picture of unity. And the letter said exactly what they all agreed to. The words that they delivered exactly what they agreed to. And really, the, this is a mission debrief. This was a massive piece. What Paul and Barnabas did was a massive piece of evidence of what the Holy Spirit was doing. Amen? Let's look at some of the applications. Again, there is a proper method to solving complex issues in the church. God's word represents the apostles and the prophets. And the elders are the experts in sound doctrine. So any questions we have, we can find the answers to by using these things. We need to conform to God's word and not tradition. Hey, traditions are fun. Some of them are benign. Some are malignant and should be rejected. Absolutely. All believers under the authority of Scripture should be in agreement with one another and live in peace. What a beautiful thing. They, they were of one mind. I love it when, when that was written. We are one mind. And that's, we should be united. And that's in keeping with what Jesus prayed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we had to get into your word and consider these things. Lord, I ask that it would penetrate into our hearts and our minds as well, Lord, for you called us to love you with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and that it would penetrate to our strength as well, that we would do the things that you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.